Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we finish the Provoke the Pastor series for 2021. If you have been following along, you know that once a year, the Heritage Bible Church congregation is encouraged to submit questions to Pastor Jim Harris for answers. Please follow along to today's portion of this week's message entitled, Potent Pastoral Potpourri. Just because something is described in the Bible, that doesn't mean that it's normal, nor does it mean that it's something that is supposed to be imitated. But when something is commanded, that's different. And even then, you have to pay attention to the identity of the original audience. For example, there may be things that are commanded for Israel under the Mosaic Law that are not in effect for the church today. But you can, you can take the commands that are in the New Testament epistles and know that they are directly for you. Let me give you a classic example of the difference between a descriptive and prescriptive passage. There's a classic one. I think I heard at least two sermons on this when I was a, a brand new Christian, and I thought, wow, that's, that's really cool. It comes from Judges chapter 6, and it involves the judge named Gideon. Remember, God told Gideon to do something, and, uh, and Gideon uh, wanted to confirm the will of God, so he he lays out a fleece and he says, okay, in the morning, I want dew on the fleece and nothing else around it. And okay, God did that. So then he lays out the fleece again. Now I want it the other way around. I want dew all around the fleece and nothing on the dew. I forget which one comes first. All right. And I heard how when you are wanting to discern God's will, you should put out your fleece. Ask God to do something to confirm to you what his will is for you very convicting sermons, great at manipulating a young teenage uh, un, uh, 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 new believer in Christ. And then I came to understand that was not what that passage is all about. Gideon had been told God's will. He knew it. The fleece thing was an act of cowardly unbelief. It was not an act of faith. It was saying, okay, God, I know what you want me to do. Now, are, are you really sure, Lord? I'm going to give you another chance to think this through overnight. And God graciously did it for him because he needed to get his will done. And then Gideon says, okay, well, now are you really, really sure? I'll give you one more day. Then maybe I'll believe what you already told me. Now listen, how much have we been told in the Scriptures that we need for eternal life and to live godly in Christ Jesus. Everything, all right? We don't need fleeces. He said, but, but how will I know? Do I buy this house or that house? Do I go to that school or this school? Pray for wisdom. Do your research. Make a decision. 
We preached uh, three sermons on decision-making and the will of God back last uh, summer and fall, and I, I commend them to you from uh, our studies in First in Corinthians. But you understand, the fact that it's described as happening in the Bible, and it's described inherently as happening in the Bible, that's different from it being prescribed as something that you should do. Now, let's get more specific with the question. The book of Acts is a unique book. It records the first 35 years or so of the progress of the gospel from the time when Jesus ascended. It follows a specific outline that is stated in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. They'd asked Jesus, Are you, is this the time you're restoring the kingdom? And He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. That is appointed by God. And He says this, Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Well, phase one, the Holy Spirit came upon them. You read that in Acts chapter 2. There was this empowerment for ministry there. You have Peter preaching the the fantastic sermon in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people get saved, and then it's 4,000, then it's 5,000. It just keeps snowballing. And just like Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the gospel spread quickly in Jerusalem and Judea. Then you work your way up to chapter 8, and it describes phase 2 when the gospel broke down the barrier to the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews returned the favor. It was a a huge thing that the gospel would unite people in Christ across the barrier of Jew versus Samaritan. And then in chapter 10, it broke down the barrier to Gentiles. We surveyed all of that when we were studying Ephesians chapter 2 just recently. So, God made sure that when those huge breakthroughs came, that some of the original apostles were present to see the miraculous signs that accompanied the initial arrival of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. That helped to cement the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace among believers across racial and ethnic borders and boundaries. Different groups that had formerly hated each other could now be one in Christ. Same gospel, same Holy Spirit, same message, same salvation, same arrival of the Holy Spirit. Now again, Acts 8 and Acts 10 are accurate. They describe exactly what happened. And they tell us what happened, that in that context, God sent the apostles to be there to witness those new things. But it does not say that that is how it will always be. When you're in the context of doctrine in the New Testament epistles, we have some crystal clear statements about believers and the Holy Spirit, several of them, but I'll just point to a couple of them for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, um, verse 13, this is in the context of, of uh, spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul writes, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, 
whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. There he mentions Jews or Greeks, Jews and, uh, Jews and Gentiles. Same experience, same salvation, all baptized into one body. We've all received the baptism of the Holy Spirit baptism. We've all received the same spirit. And by the way, he wrote that to an immature carnal church. And he said, every single one of you who's in Christ, you've received this. So the idea that receiving the Holy Spirit is some secondary uh, promotion to hyper-spirituality, it just doesn't fit what that verse says. Or go to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, that is, dominated by the flesh, but in the Spirit, you belong to the Spirit. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ because it's a package it's a package deal. There was a specific reason why there was a time separation between hearing the gospel and believing and receiving the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, and Acts chapter 10. And then it's a whole other story when you get to Acts 19, but we're not going to go there. All right, let's do another piece of potent pastoral potpourri. Next question. Somebody has a long memory. This one goes back about um, two months. In your sermon when we began Ephesians and you were covering election, you mentioned that we are dispensational or at least something to that effect. Would you please elaborate more on what you mean and how we are dispensational? Now, again, here's a compressed answer. When theologians use the word dispensation, it refers to a period of time within the redemptive plan of God. Now, we ran across a verse in uh, Ephesians already where the King James uses the word dispensation, but it's actually the word stewardship, which has a, a responsibility of ministry. But when people use the word dispensation, they're usually referring to a, a, a period of time or an era that is part of the redemptive plan of God. And in each of these periods, and I'll help you see what we mean by that, there is usually... Um, additional revelation made known which builds upon the previous revelation in that progress of the revelation of God. There's progress in the Bible. We call it progressive revelation. Uh, everything in the book of Genesis is 100% inspired. It is the authoritative, inerrant Word of God, but it's not completely the Word of God. So there's progress from not wrong to right, but from incomplete to complete. And at certain points, there's more of a download of information, if you, if you will. Sometimes with the arrival of a new era, there are new regulations or guidelines that are brought to bear, and they may supersede the previous era. Let me give you the biggest example of that one. Romans 6.14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. That's a one way you can contrast the New Testament and the Old. 
you were under the law if you were a believer. Now you're under grace. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.